0: Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ.
1: It's great to be in the house of the Lord. It's great to be part of the family of God. It's great to know it's not just us, but it is our community gathering in praise this morning. Various congregations all over Henry County, all over the state of Ohio and the United States of America. And isn't it great that Christ came to die for the world? To know that all over the world, people are praising the name of God and seeking to be transformed by his truth. And we gather together today. To do that as well, we're in the uh, part four of our Daniel series. We have kind of one more week. Next week is our family Sunday. It's Alabaster Sunday. We're gonna bring in new members next week, which we're excited about. New people into the family of God uh, that have come through our growth track. And uh, Pastor Brittany is gonna be just just bringing a story. Uh, of Daniel holistically for our children and for our families. And so we just encourage you guys to come back next week. We have a wonderful Sunday uh, looking ahead. But for today, how do we stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise? Uh, we hope as your pastors here that you've enjoyed this series, we realize for some of you, uh, maybe it feels like a letdown, like you just wanted us to come out swinging, and that's okay. Like, I, I get that. I feel that. And for some of y'all, like, it's been a little, like, man, that's a lot of grace. Well, yeah, it is, because we believe Jesus demonstrated a lot of grace, but stood firm in the truth that he came to bring, right? Right? And so through this series, our hope is to give you a foundation for that. And this morning, I believe that that God has continued to give us a word that is helpful for us, that will be profitable for us as we seek to press into him. You notice in this series of the Daniel Dilemma, there's been a balance scale, That balance scales goes all the way back, many think, to ancient Egypt, where they would use it to weigh out the value of different goods. I was walking through Napoleon yesterday through downtown, just taking in the sights of Napoleon and praying, and I looked up at the courthouse, and you'll notice at the top of the courthouse, we have Lady Justice, who is blindfolded, and in her left hand, I believe it is, what will you see? The balance scale, it's part of our justice system in the United States of America. And so through this series, we've been trying to balance what does this life look like to, to know and stand firm in truth and yet to also be a people of love and of grace. And one side of truth, I'm always reminded uh, of one of our favorite movies in the household where he says, I want the truth. And the response is... You can't handle the truth. I mean, it's just like, oh, she's great, right? But the truth is a, a reality. It's it's facts that correspond with reality. And we believe the Bible and God through his son Jesus and his Holy Spirit is the basis for that. And then we have grace, which is simply unmerited favor. It's something you and I don't deserve, but is given to us, anyways. And we see both of these played out in the character of God given to us in Jesus and then lived through his spirit, don't we? And the challenge of this life, if you're anything like me, has been feeling like we're balancing these two. And so today, I I just felt like we could use a little illustration of this. And so I've asked my friend here, Josiah, if you would, would come and, I don't know how these things work out. Sometimes it's a fail. So if it fails, there will be videos of it in the future, I promise, all right? Um, But I'm just gonna have you to just stand there. That's wonderful. Can you give him a hand here real quick? Let's just let him know we care. Yeah, thank you. He didn't know what he was getting into this morning and said yes anyways. That counts for a lot with me, man. So uh, I tried to not get a board that was super heavy as to where you would feel like it was causing you to lose some inches. But, but if we have uh, a board here and we have what we might consider a fulcrum, right? A fulcrum is that which is in the middle of which we balance things on. And so I'd like for you to just, and, and I think you can do this well, can you just balance this board on your head for me here? Just give it your best shot there. We're getting there. Ooh, almost. Whew. There we go, okay, yeah! All right, now now let's hold that there as long as we can. And so in life, often, yeah, this is amazing. We're getting there, we're getting there. But doesn't it feel like that's the reality of life? Like we're, we're trying to balance it and, and man, it just keeps going one way or the other. And so we move to the left to try to get it to offset the right. Or we, we move this way. There's no political things intended here with the left and right. Simply directions today, all right? Um, but as he moves, we're just trying to balance this thing and it's exhausting. And if you were trying to do this all day, my gut would be you'd get really frustrated. Here's the good, profound, deep truth that we have for you today. Are you ready? You ready? Jesus. Did you just settle that for a moment? Jesus. And here's why. I wanna bring this out here just for a minute. Thank you. Thank you very much. So here's what we see in Jesus and why this is so profound to us today as we need both of these. It's because Jesus is both of these, not weighing them, but simultaneously. Jesus isn't just grace and truth. Jesus is grace and truth. It's part of his personhood. If if we look at the Gospel of John, chapter one, verses 14 through 17, it tells us this. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to open those. I apologize. They're not on the screen, not because our tech guys didn't do their job, it's because I didn't do my job, okay? And so if you've got your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, please pull those out this morning. The Gospel of John, chapter one, verses 14 through 17. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of, help me here, Grace and truth. John testified concerning him and he cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And out of his fullness, we have all received, listen, grace in place of grace, which was the law that was already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, the two of those are inseparable in him. In fact, in this text, there are two nouns, grace and truth. Those are nouns in the language that are attached to one verb. That that verb is were. And that means simply to bring into existence. Jesus brought into existence both grace and truth simultaneously to us. So he came down from heaven to earth so that we might experience him and he extends grace and truth perfectly in the world that we live in today. What does this mean for us? Listen, just just look at me for a moment because I needed to hear this this week. God's not asking us to balance the two. Can I say that again? God's not asking us to try to balance grace and truth. What's he asking us? To be more like Jesus. I know you may say, oh, that's a cop-out this morning, Dooley. Listen, Jesus is never a cop-out. It's the most loving, real, gracious and truthful message we can give you in the world around us today because Jesus is perfect grace. Jesus is perfect truth. He simply is those things. Romans 5, 8, Paul says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's all about him. He is the fulcrum. If you have inserted yourself there, I can promise you today, you either are exhausted or you will exhaust yourself from trying to perfectly balance grace and truth on your own. It's impossible without the author of that, without the one who is. Ultimately, if you become the piece trying to balance it, it's all about you, isn't it? If we're thinking about it, it's all about you and, and how you're moving it or how you're stacking grace upon truth. And if it's all about you, then you become your own God. And can I just be honest? Y'all crummy gods. I, I know that because I am too, because there's one. Father, Son, and Spirit. Spirit. So we now have this grace and this truth through Jesus, but it begs the question: What is love? I are mean, y'all? we doing it. Come on. Some of y'all are like, "What is Pastor Dooley doing? He's lost his mind just a bit." All right. I blame my upbringing. What is love? Can I tell you something? The Greeks were just just as confused about love as we are. They had a minimum of five definitions for love. We talk about love in so many ways, don't we? I remember uh, Brittany and I were watching The Office just the other night. We're we're big Dunder Mifflin fans. And uh, it was Pam's delivery episode. And her mom was in there and Michael comes in with all of his balloons and So she's leaving and she says, love you. Pam says, love you too, mom. And Michael says, love you like a friend. (laughs) Right, because we have to quantify that. We live in a culture where I can tell, there's a lot of things I love. I love coffee. I love my iPhone. I love my guitars. I love my wife. Are they the same? Don't answer that. Like, love means so much in the culture that we live in today. And the word is going to tell us over and over again that God is love. And that love was given and lived out through his son Jesus. And then poured out upon everybody through the giving of his spirit, right? That spirit is here with us today to testify to this love. And it is a different love than than many of us have ever experienced before. It's it's this agape love, this sacrificial love. It's a love Paul tries to define in some words in 1 Corinthians 13. We hear this passage at weddings a lot. And here's what I've learned. If I put my name in here for love, I have failed at this passage this morning already. If we put Jesus' name in there for love, guess what? It is true every Single time. I want you to hear this this morning. I'd encourage you, man. Maybe you need to wake up in the morning and just open to 1 Corinthians 13 and just read that before you start your day. Love, Jesus. Love is patient. (laughs) Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Here's a tough one. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Say this with me. Love never fails. Can we do that together? Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Love is God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Pastor Justin is preaching on this concept, teaching, I should say, on this concept of the Trinity as we are here right now. Love. It's the most pure sense of agape love, that sacrificial love that's always thinking of of others. And anytime we try to live our life in Christ, anytime we try to live this Christian life in a way without love, I will promise you it will get out of balance. It will get out of balance really quickly. And you will be running left and right trying to figure out how to correct it when the word of God is saying, just come back to me. Just come back to me. I'm the fulcrum. I'm the center. Stop trying to do this on your own. I have a few things I'd like to, to just discuss this morning, when we live a life then without love, what that looks like. Can we go there? When we live a life without love, all we say is ineffective. First Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13:1. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You ever meet, maybe you're one of them, those tell it like it is people. You've been there? Like I I have friends that are those. I'm not always that bold, but people are like, I just tell it how it is. I'll tell you how many people I've seen run over because somebody told it how it is. In marriage, uh, about a few years back, five years back, Brittany was about eight months pregnant. Miserable, right? Like Nora was just wreaking havoc. Nora's arm was stuck behind Britt's, hip or pelvis and uh, we were man It was just I, I can't even talk about it feeling like I do it justice she was miserable I had a wedding to do on a Saturday of someone in the church and Brittany was with us and so we were there and the wedding was kind of chaotic anyways and uh, it was over and she was ready to go right you know what I mean like she is you Dooley, you gotta get me out of here and all I'm thinking about is, man, we haven't been here very long yet. Probably doesn't look real good for us to go I'm in my brain. And so you know what the next words out of my mouth were? You just need to suck it up. <laughs> I can't even hardly say, like I can feel it still. And, still. and you just feel that. I'm just telling it how it is, right? Yeah, oh no, you're right. There was no effectiveness in that, was there? And you're right, not only did it not work that day, I paid for it for days and months after. There's no love behind that comment, was there? None. So you may be a tell it like it is person, but without love, it's ineffective. The next time Your opinion wants to be the first thing out of your mouth before you clothe it in love. Can I just tell you to shut up from experience, especially you husbands? But we live in a very opinionated culture, don't we? Everybody's opinion is right. And if we disagree from that opinion, then we can't even coexist. We do that in the church. We've been divided as a church over opinions. Do we sprinkle or do we immerse, right? I got a feeling we get to heaven, we're not going to care whether somebody was dunked three times, one time, or they had water sprinkled on them. Thank you. The next time we feel like we want to give our right opinion, I'm not saying we shouldn't stand for truth, but before we do that, perhaps we need to pray a moment. Perhaps we need to ask that our what. We are about to say is it clothed in love? Is it as Paul says in Ephesians four twenty nine, benefit to others? He says it this way: Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If you say it without love, it's ineffective. Jesus says, Let your words, your life be salt. You know, Christians ought to be the most flavored. We ought to walk into a room and people go, Oh, the Christians are here. This is about to get good, right? That's what salt does. It makes everything better. What happens if it loses its saltiness? And then Jesus goes on to say, Hey, be light. You walk into a room. The light of Jesus, man, you should be shining through. Be salt and light. Trust that when we do it in love, it is effective because of Jesus, not because of you and I. The second thing then is this. When we live a life without love, all we know is insignificant. All we know is insignificant. 1 Corinthians thirteen two: if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but do not have love, I am nothing. Not just a little bit, like nothing. You know, we live in a culture where we elevate knowledge, don't we? I mean, even if you look at our whole education system, it is mostly knowledge-based, right? We're teaching you a a certain criteria to learn. By the time you get out of here, the hope is you know enough stuff to be a, a contributor to our society, right? And the church has followed this as well. And I'm not saying this is all wrong. It's only wrong when it's without love, but the church has followed this. Like I grew up in Sunday school and I learned to give the Sunday school answer and I gave it to you today, right? When you don't know, just say Jesus, okay? But there's truth to that. And so we follow this model. And I remember in my early years, I was a high school student. I was feeling really good about what I knew about the Bible. I was feeling really good. I had just gone through a study on some apologetics, a defense of the faith. I sat next to a person on a bus on a trip as a fellow student that happened to be Catholic. I remember tearing them to shreds and walked away feeling good. You know who never spoke to me again? Jennifer. Never talked to me again. Everything I knew when it was shared without love meant nothing. I fear there's many of us in the church that have a lot of knowledge and we use it to be right and win arguments. And I want you to hear from the words of Jesus today. It's not about you being right. It's not about you winning an argument. Like you have to defend the faith of God. God's done that through his truth, but it's about doing it in what? Love. Without love, all I know is insufficient. Here's what we see in the life of Jesus. Jesus always sought to connect before he corrected. Can I say that again? Jesus always sought to connect before he corrected. Brittany's been doing some study for her master's work and has learned that even the medical field is learning this. In fact, they're learning it to understand that the the right brain or that which the emotions are at, there has to be a connection there before they can speak to the left brain or logic. She was helping me understand this with Nora the other day. Nora lost her mind. Like she is screaming and we're trying everything. And in my mind, I'm trying to reason with the five-year-old that's lost her mind. You know how well that goes? I lost my mind. But Brittany sought to connect with her emotions first. And we tried, we had to disarm ourselves. Before we did anything that seemed logical, it was trying to connect with where Nora was at. Once we were able to connect with her and get her calmed down, (laughs) then we were able to start speaking logic. We connect before we correct. You know you, I, I hope you see this in this church. There, there's a lot of great minds in this church. You have some of the best pastors here, and this last week, I, I've been able to witness and Justin Ben and Brittany all connecting with people in love before they just gave a bunch of knowledge. And I want to tell you something today. It's changing people's lives. And I say that, it's changing people's lives. Just this past week, we got to celebrate the reality that somebody that was once lost was now chosen because somebody's took the time to invest in them first before they offered the truth of Jesus that changed them forever and ever. Justin shared this conclusion. I I love it. I hope you'll be able to see him and hear his heart today. This is from him. He said this, when we were wrestling with these issues, we know when we can tell people the truth of Christ, when we are weeping for those people that need to hear it, because it's only then that we know the Spirit has done a work on us to have the heart of Christ for the people Christ has sent us to. When was the last time your heart was broken for the people around you before we began to share with them the truth and the logic of Jesus? The question I ask myself and us today is, has God broken your heart for the person around you, your family member, your coworker, before you've tried to correct? When we live a life without love, All we believe is insufficient. 1 Corinthians 13, two, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. You know, I've lived uh, all my life in Ohio and the majority of it in the church And I see a lot of belief. In fact, I tell people we have like this American idea of belief. It's like God, country, rock and roll, and the ability to live my life as I see fit. Like you look all around, it's like, yeah, that's it. We have people going out doing like not real holy things and yet saying, oh, but God is God, right? Like there's a belief there, but little evidence of transformation see, belief without love is meaningless. Scripture tells us this, right? That we can believe in God, we can believe in his true church, we can believe in his truth and yet still miss it. The book of James tells us this in chapter two, verse 19. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even what? The demons believe that and shudder. Belief without love in action is insufficient. Your belief is not enough. You're like, "Well wait a minute, Dooley, John 3:16 says, "All who believe shall not perish. You're not wrong." But here's what we must understand about that passage. The word "believe for the Greek was not simply to trust something or someone, but rather to give yourself to the complete care. Of another, I don't just believe in you as truth, but I believe in you so wholeheartedly that I will give myself into the care of you. you understand what that means? When we talk about our life in Jesus and believing in him, it means I believe you are the son of God and I give myself fully into the care of Jesus. That's what it means to believe in Jesus as our savior, as our Lord. It will Transform us. See, one of the things we believe around here too is that God is for life. If it's only a belief, it's just a statement, right? We believe God loves life. However, with love, it will seek to tell people and demonstrate your life, all life matters. Ben told us last week, God doesn't create junk, right? You are significant. You are a masterpiece. And some of you, as you were coming in, you saw some information and some signs in our lobby. And if you didn't, you will see them as you go. And our intent is not to just give you information or help you believe something, but rather to equip you with all the necessary tools to love people like Jesus. Listen, no beefs about it. We love life. We believe God's the orchestrator of that. We believe that God designed us fearfully and wonderfully made, and he is for that unborn child. I believe God's for the inmate walking death row, challenged me in college, especially coming from a conservative background that was for the death penalty. And I don't care about your opinion here or not, but God had to change and work within my heart that said, if God loves life then duly, you love that life just as much. That was for me, that was love in action. And it resulted in us going to places where we know people might die. Charles Wesley spent a good portion of his life walking to the gallows with people singing praise to God because he believed that the Lord was their savior and that for all of eternity, they would be with him. We believe that God is for these things. It's not just about believing in something, but so much so that it transforms the way we see and treat people. And so if you're here today and you've been battling with things, don't just hear what we believe in, but know we love you. And we're here to walk with you and help guide you and pray with you and give ourselves fully, not to an issue, but to the God that gives us life. Belief. And transformative action. I want to invite you if you have questions. I wanted to have a sign. I, we're, we're watching tool time right now. Some of y'all do that. And Al would hold up a sign that would give Tim's phone number. Ben said I, I could have a sign today that would give Ben's email address for these things. So, so be Hartford at Church if you have any questions. I love you, brother. When we live a life of love, all we give is incomplete. 1 Corinthians 13, 3. If I give all I possess to the poor, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. You know, the United States of America is one of the greatest uh, humanitarian outlets in all of the world. In fact, in 2022, the United States alone gave over $12 billion in philanthropy or humanitarian efforts all over the world. That's a lot of money, right? $12 billion. Bill Gates gave over $5 million towards these efforts. Michael Bloomberg, 1.7 million. You ready for Warren Buffett? Take a guess. $759 million. Jack Glenn and Miguel Bezos, $711 million. John and Laura Arnold, $617 million. Listen, I want you to hear today. You can give everything you have to the poor and yet without love, it is. My heart breaks for some of these on this list because I am confident some of them are not in a relationship with Jesus that will give them eternal life. All they give, all they've done without Jesus is Nothing. And folks, that holds true for us as we are here today. Our giving in love is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of generosity. And I hope uh, starting here in November, we're going to begin a series on generosity. What does it look to live generously with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with our abilities, with our our finances, with all that God has given us to steward? God's after our heart. And I, I want you to hear us today. Sometimes there's many in the church that give out of obligation. I hope I can say this okay, but if you're giving out of your obligation, Ben may say differently, I don't want it. We don't need it that bad, keep it. If it's just an obligation, if it's a transaction, keep it. It doesn't give you anything and God's gonna continue to take care of us. But if you could give the Lord your heart, and become an opportunity of worship. <laughs> oh. Bring it on. Because we believe the Lord uses that to expand his kingdom. I heard it said, even growing up, this is a church that, that I was a part of for many years. I heard someone once say this. Well, you just have to give God 10% and you get to keep the other 90 I never in my life wanted to smack somebody so hard in my life, like like little love in that smack. Listen, it's not about percentages. It's about the whole. When we give our life to Jesus, we don't just give him parts of our life. We give him all of our life. And when you give our finances to Jesus, you don't just give him 10%. You give him 100% and then ask him to help you steward that and live generously as he has demonstrated his generosity to us by giving his very life. Love says, it's all yours, Lord. I'm just a steward. The question is, does love motivate your giving and your spending today? I can't answer that for you, but it's one we hope with love you'll be able to answer. When we live a life without love, all we accomplish is inadequate. 1 Corinthians 13.3 again, it says, If I give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain. You're getting the point, right? You know, I believe here in Henry County and specifically in Napoleon, we live in a community that works hard. I watch some of y'all that are farmers, even in the field, uh, man, 14, 16 hours a day. We just give ourselves over to work. I had a friend, uh, he was one of my roommates in in college and uh, he was only there for a very, very short time, but one of the smartest people I've ever known. Worked harder than anybody I've ever seen. I don't know if he ever slept. He's an aeronautical engineer, he accomplished much. And if there's one thing I learned, he'd let you know about it. <laughs> you know, this kind of feel like, oh yeah, I'm smart. I'm gonna tell you how smart I am. This person wasn't a believer in Jesus. He has lots of accomplishments in his life, more than I will ever do in human standards, right? And this dude's design in planes, things that fly and are suspended in the air, which is still a marvel of mine. Yet his family functions without him. His coworkers only see his work. And yet without love, it is inadequate. In the story of Daniel, we we see these men that accomplished much, don't we? So much so that to, to chapter 6 in the story, uh, God had used them to change the narrative and the people of Israel were free. They were no, by, by the decree of Cyrus, I believe it was, they were set free. And yet Daniel had more to accomplish. He chose to stay now under a Persian king in Daniel 6. All his bro, everybody else got like, hey, you guys get out of here. And Daniel's like, nope, there's more to do. saw himself as sent to a people that didn't just need to see a bunch of accomplishments, but, but needed to see God, needed to experience God, needed to believe in him and trust him and learn to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That was the Shema, that was part of the prayer that they would pray every single day. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. It wasn't about his words or knowledge or belief or giving or his accomplishments, but rather it says in Daniel 6, verse 3, he distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over a whole kingdom. You see, he was a mediator of God's love in a pagan culture in a world that wanted nothing to do with him. He saw himself as someone that would be sent to serve, to set an example and to share the love of God. And I believe for Daniel, that was the greatest accomplishment he could ever be called to do. It wasn't about his ability to interpret dreams or manage things for the king, but rather to let them see the love of God. I want you to know today, the greatest accomplishment I can think of in my entire life is living a transformed life for Jesus and leading others to the one that transforms. Because what good is it to say as a pastor employed by the Church of the Nazarene that I would just say had moderate success What good are those accomplishments without love that changes lives? I'll tell you just quickly a story about my friend. I'm gonna call him Jeff, just in case he's watching this morning. I don't wanna be getting embarrassed. Jeff accomplished a lot in this life. In fact, he's one of the most brilliant uh, technological people I've ever met. He was designing circuits. He was using them, not uh, even for his own reasons, but for personal gain. And he did some things that were very illegal and got caught for those things. And in the midst of that, became very famous for those things he got caught for. This man Jeff had done it all and he had come to the conclusion in his life there is no God. Atheist. His family was in the church. And so he started to come to the church and then was immediately told he didn't belong and was wounded by the church, which only further solidified his reality that God does not exist. The Lord led this family to our church several years ago. He didn't come at first. I remember the Lord just asking me to take him out to lunch. So we did. We started a conversation. And I learned all about the things that he had done. I learned all about his accomplishments all about his shortcomings. And so he began, I, I invited him to church one Sunday and he came to church and he kept coming back and he kept coming back. And then he, he met with me, he said, Dave, I'm, I'm just really nervous. Like it's just gonna end up the way it did before. And I was able to look back at him and say, Jeff, you know what? I'll do my very best to not let that happen to you again. You are welcome here. And we continued to go, and, and life went on for several months. And, and then I got a phone call right before we left to, to come here. Jeff said, uh, Dave, I, I'd like you to pray with me. Okay, that's cool. Let's Come on over. I'll, I'll pray with you. He came and sat in my office, and he was talking. And through that conversation, he said, I'm about to do something I haven't done in 10 years. Well, what's that, Tom? Jeff, sorry, I just spilled it. That's, that's difficult. I'm not good enough for that. I should have just had, had Tom come, I guess. What is it you haven't done in 10 years, Tom? I want to pray. You want to what? He didn't want me to pray for him. Tom wanted to come so he could pray the guy that had spent the last five years tearing down every argument as to why there is not a God now is in our office saying, God, I need you. Because that was greater than all of his accomplishments. And that was greater than anything I could ever do in all of my life to see someone come to an understanding of who God is and what he offers. You see, that's the Daniel life, isn't it? That's the Jesus life. And so, the question we have for us today is: as we just wrap things up, is what are you doing to live this out? What are you doing to live this out intentionally? So, I have just a few questions for you: four to be exact. You ready? If your neighbor's falling asleep, wake them up gently, all right? Versus this: who's the center of your life? Who's the fulcrum? Is it you or is it Jesus? And listen, this morning, if it's you, please don't be ashamed in that. Just own it, admit it, and change it. (laughs) Okay, Lord, I've been trying to balance this all on my own. Maybe today's a recognition, as Ben even said earlier, that you need him, and you need to make him the Lord of your life to forgive you of your sins and help you not just balance truth and grace, but trust him who is truth and grace. The second question is this. How have you connected with people before you've tried to correct people? And maybe there's some of us that like to come out swinging, right? Ali or Foreman style here. And God's saying, hey, before you start swinging, why don't you press pause here for a moment and ask for me to help you? And perhaps maybe that person just needs a cup of coffee and needs someone to listen so that they might see my love in action. And then I will give you the words to say that will lead them to my truth. You know God wants your friends and those people around you saved more than you do? Why don't we trust him for it? Thirdly, what does your example for Christ look like? That's what the king of Persia, that's what the king of the Babylonians noticed in Daniel and these men, right? They set an example before the Lord. I've heard it said, how I act in church is different than the way I act in work. And I just want to tell you something today, that's not God's intent. What's your example when you walk out of these doors? And I believe that's far greater than your example when you walk in these doors. When you go home to your family, What's your wife and your children see? Are you setting an example that mirrors the love of Christ? When you go to work, does your talk and your conversations fit right in with everybody else's? Or are you seeking to be the love and the extension of Jesus? When you're sitting in the McDonald's drive-thru and ready to lose your mind because your order's not ready, are you seeking to exude the love of Jesus? What's your example? And maybe some of us today just need to come to that place of repentance and say, Lord, forgive me and equip me to be like Jesus when I walk out of these doors. And I promise you he's faithful to do that. Lastly, are you actively looking for ways to share Christ? That's part of this journey, right? We don't just get to do grace upon grace and then hope somebody else necessarily will do it. But in your efforts, are you looking and actively listening for the Holy Spirit speaking so that we might then mediate that when he calls us to do it? Or are you a bunch of chickens and cowards hoping the pastor is gonna do it from the pulpit? Listen, we'll do that, right? And how much greater is it when we participate, when we get engaged in the life of Jesus? to where we become the ones that are sharing that life. Uh, not long ago, Ben got a phone call from somebody. I don't remember who it was. I just remember the excitement in his voice. He's like, dude, I just talked to this person at Pizza Hut and I just led him to the Lord. Like, woo, yes, praise God. What's your example like? And are you actively looking for ways to share Jesus right where you're at. And if not, maybe today. Please, please don't leave here feeling like you just got beat up. I had a friend tell me once, the Lord doesn't beat us up without pro- providing an ice pack. Here's the ice pack. God doesn't wanna leave you the same that you came in here with today, as today, all right? I believe he's changing my life. I believe he's making me more like Jesus today than I was before I stepped in here. And I believe he desires to do that in your life too, amen? so Sarah comes and plays. We're just gonna end this way. She's gonna sing. You're welcome to sing with us. But I wanna invite you to pray. You can pray where you're seated. And just respond to the Holy Spirit. What's he been speaking to you about today? And respond before you make an effort to get out of your seat, get your purses ready or your jackets and walk out these doors. Maybe today we just need to respond and say, Lord, maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's asking him to be Lord of your life. Maybe it's you need his spirit to sanctify you fully so when you go out of here, you can be Jesus to your family and to your coworkers and to the world around us. I just want you to respond to him. Please don't respond to me. That's kind of meaningless. But to him, the father whose love is so deep and so wide that we can't fathom, the one who is the center, the one who holds all things together. So I invite you to stand with me today. And if you need to pray, if you would like somebody to pray with you, I I just wanna invite uh, Pastor Ben and Pastor Brittany who are in our service today to come forward and just, just be here. They're just accessible. Maybe you need to say yes to Jesus and you just need some help. You're like, what's that look like? Well, we can't pray it for you, but we can help you get there. Maybe you're dealing with things and your, your person is just a challenge and you just need someone to go to war with you. We're here for you. We have up here, they've brought back. I love this idea. There's a basket here. This is a prayer basket. And there's some cards with some pens. And, and maybe you, you just need to lay some things down and leave it at the altar. The altar is a place where we raise an Ebenezer as God is our help. Like we lay it here trusting God has taken it and is with us. And so if that's a need you wanna write down and that just needs to be between you and the Lord, just fold that paper and put it in there. If it's a prayer you want us to pray with you over in the weeks ahead, we just invite you to write it down. Don't fold it and put it in there. We'll know that we need to retrieve those. But today is a day the Lord's changing us into the likeness of Jesus through his spirit. For God is good. And all the time, I invite you to pray. I invite you to come. I invite you to kneel. Just don't walk out of these doors before you've wrestled with the Holy Spirit a little bit on how we love well and the life that God has given us today. Let's pray. Let's go to the Lord.
0: How deep the Father's love for us. How Beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretched.
1: as we pray, I invite us to to actively pursue, what are you giving to the Lord today? What do you need him to take? Maybe it's your life, maybe it's your circumstances, maybe it's your, your family, your friends, maybe it's the things around you. What's he asking you to give to him today? the posture of my little girl, Nora, when she wants her dad to pick her up, she comes with the same gesture with her arms held wide, hoping that I'll just wrap her up and and grab her in my arms. It's this act of receiving. Might you know that the Lord has given us his spirit and that he gives that freely to you today. Might you receive him in his fullness that we might go in the midst of a crazy world as people that are seen by our love, as people that that do stand upon such a beautiful truth of Jesus and his word. Seek then to be changed and to be used as a mediator for the change of others. We receive your spirit today and we go then in the wonderful, Powerful, courageous, gracious, truthful, loving name of Jesus. And all of God's children said, Amen. For God is good. And all the time. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a wonderful week.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene we invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.